Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. This episode is brought to you by Set GK Goalkeeper Gloves. Gloves by the pros, for the pros. With five different models to choose from, they guarantee you'll find the feel and fit you're looking for. Use promo code JUSTFORKEEPS at checkout and receive 25% off your order. Set GK. It all starts with your set. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Just For Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host Carter Hockman. Joining me this week is current Utah Valley men's soccer goalkeeper Jason Smith. Thanks for joining me, Jason. Thanks for having me, Carter. Absolutely. So we'll get right into it. The first question I always ask here in the podcast is, is what made you want to become a goalkeeper? What drew you to the position originally? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was probably about six or seven years old when I just kind of hang out in the backyard. And I, growing up, I always played soccer with my friends or with my brother. Um, and so I just had the opportunity to just kind of hop and goal. And one day I just really did well at it and just kind of captivated me to keep the ball out of the net at all costs and um from there I would just sometimes hop in goal but I still really didn't develop a full of goalkeeping until I was about 12 or 13 but it was always in the back of my mind that I could enjoy being back there as much as I like scoring goals uh out in the field you had an incredibly unique upbringing you're originally from California but you spent four years as a kid growing up in Zambia Africa which is where you fell in love with soccer I mean just talk to me about what that was like Definitely. So my parents worked with um, a different uh, spiritual organization with the church where they went and they were working with the church in Zambia, Africa. And so I didn't really have that much of a say about going. I was four years old when I left and eight years old when I returned back to the United States. And in that time period, um, soccer was a lifestyle and still is a lifestyle for a lot of the world. It's very different than the United States where I could go outside and just bring a soccer ball and I have 10 friends to play with. And so um, I grew up playing soccer from when I got out of school around one o'clock to sundown. It was just playing small sided or as many kids who wanted to play. We'd, we'd play soccer for five, six hours a day. And uh, with the world cup happening in South Africa during the time that I was there, I really got that feeling of soccer fever, which really um, brought that love for wanting to push towards the highest level and um, continue to strive towards that even to this day. Remember those days where you could just play for five or six hours and you wouldn't even be sweating at the end of it? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I think I walk on the treadmill for a good seven minutes and my body's like, nope, I think I'm good. Yep. <laughs> Especially so, as a I mean, now. Oh my God. I, I, I never, I've never been a runner and I never will be. So I mean, talk to me a little bit about how your perspective on soccer and maybe even goalkeeping changed when you came back to the States. Definitely. Um, Soccer was a definitely different culture in the United States compared to um, Africa. There's a lot of times you wouldn't play. You'd have to really work hard to find friends to play with who wanted to play soccer at recess. For me, it was always why would we play any other sports like soccer is what we're going to play? Like that's the, the only option coming back to the United States while I still dabbled into playing basketball and flag football, other stuff, which I think really helped my goalkeeping as well. And um, 
soccer was still my, my main love, my main sport. And so coming back from the States, it was definitely a culture shock to play with kids who didn't grow up playing soccer or didn't understand it, didn't understand the, the global appeal that it had and kind of treat it like a, a secondary sport compared to the rest of the big five American sports. So coming back was definitely a big culture shock for me, but it gave me a real appreciation for what the sport uh, or the grass, but the sport has in the rest of the world. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that. I mean, you, you mentioned that, you know, you played basketball, you played a little flag football. I mean, how important is it that kids continue to try other sports, even if they still want to be involved in soccer or goalkeeping specifically? I definitely think it's really important for, for other goalkeepers to dabble in other sports. I think that that's one of the great things that the United States has yeah. that you don't have to specialize in soccer from a, from a very young age. You can, but a lot of kids that even I know burnt out from playing when they were six years old up to when they're 12, they're sick of it and they're done with it because their parents made them go to all that private trainings, all those club soccer weekends, and they just hate it by 12, 13 years old and want to explore other things or have social lives. So I played all types of sports, cross country, track, all that stuff up to about middle school. And then I felt that if I really wanted to be successful as a goalkeeper, as even as a soccer player, I was still playing out the field that um, everybody started specializing really around that time. And I felt that that was the right time to um, move into soccer. I had a good athletic background as a, as a, basketball player, football player, and then to help as a goalkeeper as well. But I began to feel like, okay, if I really want to push to the next level for me personally, and I want to be a really good player, then I felt like, okay, soccer is where it's at. I'm going to put my all into that. So at what point did you decide that you knew you needed to get a goalkeeper coach? And, and, and what was your first experience with that like? Yeah, uh, I've always wanted to have a, a goalkeeper coach from when I started playing the position. Of course, in Zambia, that was difficult to get. But only until I came back to the United States, I was still playing up into the field probably until eighth grade. I think only in uh, my freshman year of high school, I really committed to playing goalkeeper full time. But from when I was nine years old to 12 years old here in the United States, I didn't really have access to one. There was not a lot of goalkeepers as we discussed previously on the, the podcast, Miguel Martinez, who's one of my really close friends, the Central Valley of California doesn't have a lot of goalkeeper trainers, and the ones that do are charging insane amounts for one-hour sessions. And for me and my family, that was often not the case. We just couldn't afford it compared to all the other club costs that comes with uh, soccer in the United States. And so I didn't get a single legit goalkeeper session until I was my 12th birthday my parents gave me two sessions for my birthday I said okay this is our birthday gift to you You get two sessions with the trainer and those two sessions with the trainer um, helped me get onto the state team and then from the state team I got goalkeeper training there once or twice a month and just continued to snowball into the more organizations that I got involved with in Northern California. So I mean when you first get that goal those two goalkeeper coaching sessions I mean how did that did that change your perspective on the position? Like, cause when I first, I remember when I first got mine, I was 15 years old and I, there were, I, I already had a pretty decent foundation of what I expected the position to be, but there were a lot of things like, Oh my God, like I had no idea this was required. I had no idea that it was this simple or this difficult. Like what was the, what was the, was there something that, that happened in those two sessions where you're like, all right, I can do this or, Oh shit, maybe I can't. Right. Right. 
I was, um, I'm an avid YouTuber. I was watching all those YouTube videos and I would see like, okay, this is how you die. This is how I have a basic idea of those things, but just understanding what a set position looks like, what does an effective set position look like? Where should my hands be? Where should I be set? Um, can I consistently catch a ball to W catch or diamond catch or when should I use a basket? All those things at 11, 12, 13 that are beginning your foundation. I really need somebody to hold me to that standard as a, as a goalkeeper. So that was definitely a, a huge part. And it continued to grow as I got older and got more opportunities to work with better coaches and uh, get it more consistently on a week to week basis when by the time I was 13, 14, 15. But when I started off, it was definitely a huge, uh, a huge improvement on my abilities. I'll never forget. I think the, the first thing that my goalkeeper coach pointed out, because you're right, like a lot of it is involving, you know, watching YouTube videos, watching things online and you have an idea of what a good set position is supposed to look like just from watching the game. And then you, tr you realize after your goalkeeper coach points it out that your set position is hilariously wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so goofy, but that's, that's that it humbles you pretty quickly, but moving to, uh, to high school, you only, if I'm correct, you only ended up playing one season of high school soccer before moving on to, to playing Academy and, you know, with the California Odyssey, which is, a decision that a decent amount of young young players make. Well, at the same time, goalkeepers like myself, we played high school ball all the way through. I mean, what went into your decision to, you know, just the one year of high school uh, soccer? And what advice do you have to a younger goalkeeper who isn't quite sure what route they should take? 100%. Yeah, everybody's path is different. And I'm still exploring that even in my path as I continue to push towards higher levels that um, – you have to, everybody's path is different. And in terms for me, I tried out for my high school soccer team as a freshman and I was the only freshman who made varsity. And I was like a tiny five, six, 110 pound goalkeeper, really small, but I was technically strong and had a presence and uh, I had an opportunity to, to play. But after a couple of weeks of preseason and playing with them, I just realized how low the level was and I didn't feel like I was improving there was no goalkeeper training. There was just kind of like play to play. You're playing with your best friends for a lot of those guys in the team. And for me, the social aspect is great with soccer. But for me at that time, it was, no, I need to continue to develop. I need to continue to get better. And I had seen the Barca Academy replace Real Salt Lakes, Arizona residency program in 2017. And I was avid on playing for RSL uh, when they were in Arizona. But once they left and Barcelona came in, I was like, this is the place I want to go. This is where I really want to develop. And I'm, uh, the environment they have is what I feel like will help me get into the best player I can be, especially with uh, it being a development academy program at the time. So I tried out in December. Uh, I decided to quit high school soccer, tried out for the, the Barcelona Academy in December of 2017. And I made it onto their pre-academy team. And I was planning to go, but some logistical things fell through in terms of scholarships to get over there. So I returned back to California. Both of the goalies got hurt on the varsity team at my high school. So they basically begged me to get back onto the team and finish off their playoff run, which I did. And I played about two months of high school soccer before uh, returning back to club soccer. But for me, I feel like it's always based on people's situation. If you can play academy soccer that is that's great for you if you're not that level playing high school soccer is totally fine as long as you're continuing to push yourself and um 
try and get the best experience out of it to continue to push on to greater heights if that's your aspirations. But if you're just a goalkeeper who wants to enjoy playing with their friends, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. To uh, enjoy your high school experience, it's great to play with your, your best friends and um, you can always go on from there. I mean, you and I know, I mean, it's impossible to not know if you know anything about soccer, that, that Barca is famous for their youth academies and how they train their players. I mean, what did you notice from your time there that, that they did differently primarily with the goalkeepers? Yeah, they completely reshaped the way you think about soccer in terms of um, what the demands of the goalkeeper are. For a lot of the world, it's just go and make saves, go and uh, kind of the, the old school style of a shot stopper. Um, I think the, the classic or the cliche is that the goalkeeper is the 11th field player in the Barcelona system, but it's, it's much more than that. You're a, a leadership role. You are, ex- you are expected to be just as good or even better with your, the ball at your feet than a lot of your teammates and being at an compre- incredibly competitive academy that has produced some amazing players. It definitely forces you to be just at their level. Um, we, about, we have goalkeeper training about three times a week there. And one of the days out of the week, we don't have any training. We're just in with the team, playing with our feet the whole time. And it definitely challenges you to be uh, a top-tier player, not just a goalkeeper. So the way that they've approached to um, make our goalkeepers be uh, really smart, to be smart with the ball at our feet, the ball in our hands, helping the team defend, orga- organizing they really hold you to a very high standard, which can be very overwhelming when you first get into it, whether you're 14 or all the way up to 18. But by the time you leave, you're a much better player than when you came in. Was there something that the coaches said to you, like about, I mean, I'm trying to phrase this the right way, but you get to, you know, you get, you get to the academy and you're, you know, you put, they're putting you through your first session. Was there something that you were, you were used to as a goalkeeper or, as a player specifically, and the second you started to do this one thing, the coach was like, no, 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 no. That's completely wrong. You're going to do it this way. I think the best way to describe it is that there's a much higher standard that they hold you to compared to all the other um, environments I've been in. If you give the ball away cheaply or just kick it out of bounds when you could have found an easy pass or found something like that, most of the time, even in college, they're like, okay, no problem. Like, they, they only take any risks with the goalkeeper to find out, okay, if it's, if you're under any pressure at all, boom, send it, put it out of bounds with, with uh, Barcelona. Like that's kind of what I came into. And they'd be like, no, that's not good enough. You have to be able to play out of that. You have to be able to be more aware before you get the ball so that we can solve that. Because if we give the ball away cheaply with our system, we're going to get punished every time. So I think that's the best way to describe it. That's a good way to describe it. And you're completely right at the college game. Even in high school at this, I mean, all the way through high school, through college, the, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It is understood that if you're under any sort of pressure or duress, that it's the, take the safe option and just boot it down the field and reset. But, I mean, you see as the, as the level of play, especially in the U.S., just rapidly continues to increase everything's about playing everything out of the back. So if you have an option, you have to be able to take it. And that's what's going to bring you to the next level. But moving towards your college recruitment process, which is incredibly different for everyone, how did you go about starting everything? Because it can seem incredibly daunting initially. Yeah, it was very difficult to uh, start off. And um, 
we started as a, I was a junior in 2019, first going to the academy. And the academy does a really good job of supporting players to help them get opportunities. But a lot of the time, people really think that, oh, if I was playing at Top Academy or if I'm really doing well in high school, that I'll get a bunch of offers straight off the table. I won't do anything, won't do any emails. And the hard uh, reality is that unless you're some national team player who's incredible, that most of the time you've got to do a lot of the hard work to find a place to be. And so each week at, at the academy, we had our Tuesdays off from training. And so each day, instead of going out to do extra work, I felt like extra work is great, but you don't always have to do extra work on the field. Extra work can mean a lot of different things. So extra work for me meant, okay, I need to send out 10 emails to 10 different colleges each week. And so I was sending out different ones, all my highlights, my resumes, reaching out to different clubs, kind of, or different colleges, excuse me, to say, hey, I'm a young goalkeeper doing all that uh, emailing, making it personalized to the school, making sure that I was doing all my research to come across as a good candidate that actually cared about their program and wanted to help them out. And so that's kind of how I started off with. And it get, got me a lot of interest going into some of the college showcases that the Development Academy put on where I did really well at. And then um, had some really strong performances down in Florida with the showcase, had a lot of potential visits that would turn to offers coming up in January, February, March of 2020. And then bang, just straight into the quarantine and everything went dead. There was a huge dead period that lasted my whole senior year. Coaches couldn't come see me play. I couldn't go out to see colleges. And for a lot of that time, it would just be sending emails and just not getting a response back or getting a cliche, thanks for reaching out, keep us updated, and nothing would really occur from there. And so it wasn't until about January of my senior year that I actually got an offer from Utah Valley straight out of the blue. Uh, they needed a goalkeeper to come in after their spring season to come and potentially try and start for their program and Luckily, they talked to my goalkeeper coach, and then they connected with me. But I still talked to over 100 programs where I just would continually email them and send my highlights, update them. And for every 10 emails you send out, you maybe get one response back. And sometimes that response is, hey, we're not even looking for a goalkeeper. Thanks for reaching out. So definitely it is daunting and it is frustrating when you go through it. But once you get out of it, it is a lot. Very relieving. What? I mean – the, I, I ask for advice all the time on this podcast for younger goalkeepers that are listening, but like what advice do you have for those goalkeepers that are, you know, junior, senior year of high school that are sending out hundreds and hundreds of emails, but might, might not get a response, maybe only get one response and it's generic. I mean, it can be pretty demoralizing. What, I mean, I know from personal experience, you, you, there's, there might be a program that you think is perfect for you. You love the school and you love the location and, you think you might get a scholarship, but you're not getting any responses from the schools that you think you're supposed to love. I mean, what, what do you, what do you say to those guys? Yeah. The, the two things I could probably give the best advice about is one is that you can't take it personally. It's not an attack on your ability as a goalkeeper. It's not an attack on you as a person. It's just, it's a business for people who think that, Oh, only professional sports are a business, but um, college sports are a business too. It's sometimes they just don't have the roster spot for you or they just don't see the potential or whatever reason it is, you can't let that um, 
their judgment affect what you're doing or your perception of your own ability. You have to continue to believe and be, of course, honest with yourself that is Stanford really the, if I'm a JV goalkeeper as a senior, is Stanford really my best option? Probably not. But if you're honest with yourself and you've continually put the work in over the years, then you can trust your ability. And then the second part that kind of connects to it is that control the controllables. You can continually send out emails. You can't give up on that and then continue to work on your craft on the field. That's just the best way that you can go about things is control your emotions, control what, um, how the, how coaches perceive you and then control, uh, your development. How, how much can you put into your craft? Can you get better to really make those dreams come true? And to piggyback off of that, one thing that you, whoever's listening, like one thing you need to remember is you're probably one of, you know, a thousand kids or a couple hundred kids that are reaching out to these coaches every week. You know, it's, they're not going to be able to sift through every email. You might need to send three or four emails just to, just so they remember your name or they recognize your name. It's, it's about how you market yourself as well. And so if you're sending out one email to a coach at a, at a top, you know, top 25 program, just mm-hmm. imagine how many kids want to play at that top 25 program. They're not going to be able to respond to everybody, even if you might be a great fit for their program. So it's about how you decide and how you choose to put in the effort to get them to notice you. Exactly. Did you ever, I mean, when you were, before everything shut down, were you able to attend any ID camps or clinics or anything like that that weren't hosted by the academy? Not really. I went to one ID camp held by UC Davis as a freshman. I just got invited to it. I'm not sure, looking back on if it was actually um, an actual invite or more of a generic email, but it was good to go there and to hear, to get at least a little bit of experience of hearing from coaches okay this is what a college recruiting process looks like this is kind of it gave you some information there and you kind of got to see a little bit of what you're looking for but if you're a freshman sophomore especially on the male side you're usually not going to be as physically developed or not they're not really going to take you as seriously unless you're a freak athlete specimen as a freshman sophomore or incredibly good national team player um I can't really speak too much for the female side because they usually can usually develop a little bit quicker than the guys. And they can, before the um, change the NCAA rules where they could commit female players up to eighth grade, ninth grade. Now it's always after the junior year. So I, I'm not against it. I feel like if you find the right ID camps, if it's a school that you really like to, to really try out and you feel like it's a, it's a right use of resources that ID camps can definitely be, the the right thing for you and if it gets you opportunities that's all for it just in in my experience id camps were always the the best choice because of um time cost flights all that crazy stuff in in a season so yeah and and, i mean i found them to be incredibly useful i mean i was not a star coming out of high school by any sense of the word i mean i needed to put in a ton a ton a ton a ton a ton of work and get myself noticed as much as possible any any email I got that was an ad for an ID camp, I would go. Any, any, I signed up for email lists from recruiting sites, and if if they've heard of any camps that were that were coming out or ID clinics or anything like that, because one, it was a great way for me to go and actually see these these schools up close and see the neighborhoods and the cities that they're around and see if I liked the school. It, it was more often than not, it was more than one school there. So even if if I was going to a UMass Lowell clinic, which I went to several. 
there might be a, a Boston College. There might be a Utah Valley. There might be a Northeastern. There might be a, a University of New Hampshire there. It's it's sometimes it's six or seven coaches and they might, you know, a team from uh, Florida might be running your specific session at a camp that's being hosted in Connecticut. You know, it's, it's a great way to, to, to mark. It's another way to market yourself other than just sending emails. And it's, it's sometimes the camp is just a money grab. I mean, you're going to run into those where it's just a generic session that isn't even being run by the head coach. Um, and I mean, you learn your lesson that way, but one thing that I particularly learned was, I mean, if it's, if it's going to get you noticed and there's more than, especially if there's more than one school there, it's worth the money. It can be, it can get kind of expensive because that's just somehow that's, I mean, that's somehow it's just sometimes how a program will, will raise money for the team, uh, for the boosters, but it's more often than not. I mean, even sometimes, especially when they don't have anything set up for goalkeepers, you're just there to stand in net it's a great way to just to if you're not seeing shots, it's a great way to show off your communication skills and, and direct your back line, make sure you learn their names, learn the coaches names and just be better prepared for the next time that they host a clinic and you know what to expect. So that's, I mean, that's just my take from, from clinics, but they're just depending on what kind of, I mean, one way you can tell if it's kind of a money grab is if the graphics in the, email that they the mass email that they send out to you are kind of lazy then they don't really care mm-hmm. uh, but that's that's just one way to see it out from my experience 100 percent. and now that you remind me i did actually end up going to um one my sophomore and junior year uh impact goalkeeper academy which is based out of southern california uh big joe who's a director um actually set up a goalkeeper specific ID camp that I remember I went to. I, that just popped into my head that I went there my sophomore, junior year, and they had about 10, 15 schools and all the goalkeeper coaches coming down from um, all these different schools. Omar Zini from uh, Pro GK Academy is there. And I finally got to meet him and we're, we, got, we became really close from that. And so um, definitely finding ones are the best bang for your buck and that give you multiple schools to expose yourself to and, I was very fortunate that it was a fully goalkeeper specific ID camp with only goalkeepers, no field players. That was definitely a, a really positive experience that I had, but totally agree with you, Carter, that if you can find something that is um, legit and gives you the best bang for your buck with most schools there and gives you an opportunity to see other parts of the university, that's definitely the way to go. So getting to college, I mention it all the time, but the first time I stepped on the field with, you know, just training with my new college teammates at like a captain's practice, I got absolutely lit up, which sent my confidence to to the absolute bottom of the toilet. But did you have like an, oh shit, this is college soccer moment when you first get to Utah Valley? Uh, My college experience, my first week was definitely a, (laughs) a fascinating one. I was on trial with a professional team in Slovakia over the summer and... I flew uh, from Slovakia back to Utah about two days before preseason. So I was incredibly jet lagged. I was uh, trying to adjust to the 5,000 feet elevation. There was wildfires going on in the area, so we couldn't really go outside and train. So I kind of showed up on the first day. We had our fitness test, which I hadn't really prepared for because I'd been on different trials over the summer. So I wasn't really running too much. I was in really good goalkeeper shape, but not really in run a sub six mile elevation shape. So I ended up passing the fitness <laughs> test, but I was absolutely destroyed after that. And we were doing double days 
And by the second session, my whole lower body just started cramping and shutting down. So I didn't really have an oh crap moment in terms of the quality of the players. It was more of, wow, there's a lot of physical demands that go into not just being the goalkeeper, but just being a, a college athlete. You have to be incredibly fit, have to manage with double days in preseason, manage the elevation, and with me being jet lagged and probably slightly dehydrated from the elevation and dealing with all that stuff and all that shock of going from um, an amateur environment of training maybe once a day into twice a day's lifting, training, and then going straight into a college season where you're playing 18 games in three months. It definitely takes a toll on the body. But uh, in terms of me, I wasn't really too taken aback by a little bit of a speed of play difference. The physicality wasn't too bad for me. I don't think anybody will ever fully be at run six miles at 5,000 feet elevation fitness level. Um, <laughs> no, even at the best shape of my life, I was never, I never even came realistically close to passing our fitness test either. So you don't have to worry about that. They just want us to finish. Um, right. And I won't, I won't get too into detail, but Utah Valley did spank us anytime we played them. So we'll breeze past that as well. But <laughs> the big thing that always gets brought up when talking about goalkeepers, one of the big things, and rightly so, is you know the mentality that we need to have on the both on the playing field and and the training ground. And I feel like the tuning everything out portion came naturally to me just because I have ADD and will just naturally zone out noise, literally and figuratively. But what's a what's a lesson that you've learned about having the right mentality that you pass on to younger goalkeepers that you that you teach? Yeah, the biggest thing that. I've always loved just being the most competitive person that you can be. Um, kind of having a little bit of a competition problem, as Michael Jordan would say, is that you want to win absolutely everything. For me, it's it's not always – I feel like in, if you're integrated with a team, it's always I want my team to win. I never want to lose. In goalkeeper training, it's I want to be the cleanest in this group. I don't want to – if he drops if he drops two balls, I'm dropping one. If he drops one ball, I'm not dropping any balls. I'm going to be the top, and I'm going to – it's kind of the, the, a little bit of that killer mentality that um, I'm going to be the best every single day that I show up, and that's the standard that I hold myself to. And even if it's not necessarily an, an external competition where people know you're competing against them, like, like you could say, like a coach would say, okay, who can make the most amount of saves for me? It's always the, the competition that I'm going to be the best in the session. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to help my team win in small side. I'm going to win this spot for the weekend. It's always a, a constant competition that I feel like has always driven me to be um, a number one. Or even if I'm the number two, it's I need to be cleaner this guy. I need to beat this guy out and uh, treat it like it's my job. It's my job to show up prepared, to show up uh, eating the right stuff lifting make sure my body is primed and then to to go out and perform and be the best every single session and part of that competition you mentioned you you kind of mentioned is you know being that number two or even especially in college programs that carry three four maybe even five goalkeepers i mean not everyone's going to get that chance to play uh two maybe even three years at a time i know i mean i'm very public about the fact that my first college start was on my senior night my senior year and i played for about 15 20 minutes it was the best 15, 20 minutes of my life because I got to, I finally got to show in front of my friends and family that I was capable of doing this, even though I had been capable of doing it all four years because I was the best teammate that I could possibly be. I worked as hard as I could in training to push the other guys. And that's, 
sometimes that competition is not just physical, but it's, it's the mental competition that you need to have on the training ground. And the second that you're, you're on the bench during game day and the best thing that you can do is, is support, you know, whoever's in net. It's a weird mental battle where you want them to do well, but the more you, the more that they do well, the more you don't play. And then you want to play and push them and you want them to push you and finally get that game time. So it's a weird mental battle, but I think that's one of the, the beautiful things about goalkeeping is you have to compete as hard as you can for the guy that is your teammate. And if you're not playing, you have to put everything that you have to put all that aside and, and just be the best teammate that you possibly can be and, and support everyone. Right. hundred percent. And um, I mean, finally, I guess like, how do you, I mean, you've, you've, you've been in that situation. I mean, what's that, what's that mental battle been like for you and how do you, how do you pass that knowledge along to other goalkeepers who are maybe a sophomore or freshman, sophomore, even junior in college who aren't seeing that game time that they think they deserve? Yeah. When, it, whether it's when I show up to Barca as a junior, I didn't play the first two months of the season. I played in a few preseason games, but in terms of the, the first two months of the, of the DA season, I didn't play a single game and I felt like I was a better goalkeeper and um, it wasn't until the other goalkeeper got appendicitis that I got my first chance. And the first time I went in, we tied 3-3. I made three mistakes that led to all three goals. We luckily um, tied that game. And the second game I played in, we lost 4-0. I played amazing, but we still got smacked. So seven goals in those first two games. But um, I still trust myself. I still believe that I was the right person for the job. And ultimately in those two months it was incredibly frustrating because you work your butt off every single week and you look forward to the weekend because that's when you want to play and then you see your when you don't see your uh um name on the starting 11 it it hurts and it take kind of takes it personally like when you're younger you kind of take it personally and um you can kind of take it personally in a way that wow i'm not good enough i shouldn't be here or kind of the michael jordan take it personally what that okay i need to step it up a little bit and so um when i came to college too that i was a freshman and we had a 60 year 26 year old senior and the chances of me playing any games under under that guy did not look very very big but you just gotta continue to show up and uh continue to support the other person but honestly i've always believed that supporting the other person is just pushing them as hard as you want to be pushed if you're the number one uh, i want a number two that is going to be on my butt the whole time like can I again like that same mentality of I can't drop a ball during a session or if I do drop one then the other person has at least dropped two for me to be able to drop one so that continual pursuit of excellence whether you're the number one or number two um, just continues to prepare you for the weekend week in week out so if you see the end goal in mind which is uh, being a number one all your actions that you do at throughout the day throughout practice should be leading up to uh, puts you in that right path towards uh, your end goal. I couldn't agree more. And it's funny that you mentioned that you finally got your first start when the other goalkeeper got appendicitis. I mean, that that takes me back to my junior year of high school. I got my first varsity high school start my junior year because uh, warming up, I'm putting on my gloves on the bench, and the guy who was supposed to be starting is, is taking shots already warming up, and he dislocated his shoulder and was done for the year. And that was mm-hmm. it. Yep. Um, so I mean, you, you, you know, the saying, you always got to be ready. So 
Jason, I, I really want to thank you for taking the time today and, and, and hopping on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Carter. This is a blast. Absolutely. Guys, this has been yet another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Thank you very much again for Jason Smith for coming on. I have been your host, Carter Hogman. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps, 